The Timex Corporation recently retired their classic slogan, It Takes a Licking and Keeps on Ticking, which was used to establish the durability of their watches and assorted timepieces. This would be a perfect opportunity for the Dillinger Escape Plan to pick it up and run with it, slightly amending the phrase to takes a licking and keeps on riffing. Because over the past 10 years, the band have endured everything from record label woes to departing members to lawsuits issued by neophytes completely unaware of their propulsive plasma-burning performances. Formed in New Jersey over 10 years ago, the Dillinger Escape Plan started out as a bar-grade hard rock band worthy of Tuesday night open mic nights and weekend hardcore matinees. However, their 1999 release Calculating Infinity was a career-defining moment, filled with bellowing vocal invective, diabolically complex yet solid rhythms, and furious yet inventive riffing, seemingly written by mathematicians and not any of the golden boys found on the covers of Guitar Geek magazines these days. The band have continued to make engaging music, teaming up with singer Mike Patton for the Irony is a Dead Scene EP, exploring electronics and flirting with the mainstream on 2004's Miss Machine, and expanding their abilities with last year's positively blistering Ireworks. Guitarist and a remaining original member Ben Wyman was remarkably upfront with AP about a number of topics, including the current sincerity of the underground, the amount of members lost to Dilt's abilities, as well as his own medical history, the constant rumors surrounding their inner workings, no, they don't use multi-side dice to write their songs, and uh, clothing for dogs? I'm Jason Pettigrew, and you're listening to the AP Podcast. How are you, Ben Lyman? I'm pretty good. I mean, this is the uh, third show. I'm glad to get through the first ones. You know, I haven't played a show in over a year and a half. So you haven't played a show the other in over day a year was and a half. My first show in over a year and a half. Really, a year Plus and a half. With two new guys on stage. And pretty scary. Oh, who's the new? Who's the new? You've got well, obviously Gil Sharon. Gil Sharon. And who's the other new guy? Uh, Jeff Tuttle from Detroit. Yesterday we played in Detroit, his hometown. So it's exciting. Oh, I see. But, uh, What's he? He was in a band guitar? called Heads Will Roll. Yeah, he's playing guitar with us. Okay. And um, it was uh, it was really scary because like bands practice like so much, you know. It's like they have their day, they practice, blah blah blah. Nobody lives in the same state in my band. Oh, that's right. So because like someone doesn't doesn't Liam your bassist? Liam's in Philly. In Philly. Greg's right. in Baltimore. Gil, the drummer's in Hollywood. Um, Jeff's in Detroit. So we just kind of like practice a f- like a few times before we roll out and then and then and just wing it so you know with our songs like cues and things like that it's just very nerve-wracking <laughs> yeah that's very like, nerve-wracking that, yeah, it's not, not really like a jam band you know you could i can understand you, you know like I, it's kind of those things where you really can't rehearse via fed express i mean you yeah, can yeah. obviously you can send files and shit and yeah i mean we, we write that way easily but, but uh that's kind of we just wing it you know that's kind of I don't know. That's rock and roll. Man. That is kind of incredibly nerve wracking. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, with I mean, yeah. if it were just some dumb you know bar rock band, bar chord central, then yeah, I can understand. But the problem Close. is your stuff is a little more a little more complex. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about writing music that sounds like pot and pans falling down stairs is that uh, a lot of people don't notice if you mess up because it sounds like a mess up anyway. <laughs> so, you got that was kind of my covered. that's the kind of the method to the mayhem there. <laughs> write songs that just sound like a big mess. Sure. And they'll never know the difference. What's the, compared to the Dolly Parton quote, it takes a lot of money to look this trashy. Exactly. It's kind of like manipulate that for your own devious ends. Yeah. You are the last in line. You are the original, the only original member the last of, sucker. of <laughs> Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah. Um, 
everybody who's been in this band is either uh gone on to do something else or couldn't do something else mm. or uh yeah it's almost kind of like a it's almost like the mafia kind of isn't it you, you, you once you <laughs> once you leave your life is somewhat changed significantly <laughs> well we don't take you out if you're not in the band anymore that's right. <laughs> well that's true too but <laughs> although uh you know do you feel i mean how, how do you feel about that do you feel mm. like do you feel like you're kind of like the, you know, the Billy Graham of aggressive music? Like, no, you know, are you yeah. Captain Hook? This ship is not going down. <laughs> Do you, I mean, is that, the, I mean, no, I guess the big everybody... thing is what, what, essentially what motivates you? Yeah. Um, I have nothing else to do. Nothing else to do. <laughs> That's too late. It's been a long time since, since I've had any marketable skills, you know? <laughs> Ten years Come later. On. Ten years later, everyone else can make a website. Every fifteen-year-old can make a website, <laughs> and you can barely make a MySpace page. And I is that can it? barely make a MySpace page. Well, no, I mean, I mean, um, no, I don't know. I mean, you're still young. You're not even thirty. I'm thirty-two. Oh, I see. I thought you were like twenty-eight. No, I'm old. I actually, my first band I was in with Jesus. <laughs> and uh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'm old. I'm really old. What's that? He line? was a stoner rock. <laughs> it was a stoner rock band. That that line from what that Billy Crystal movie, Mister Saturday Night. Hey, lady, Moses called. He yeah. said you were a great fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that. But I mean, I mean, essentially, I mean, really, do you think it's like? Yeah. I can't do I anything mean, well, else. No, I, I mean, mean, what what essentially well, is that? I don't know. I mean, there's always some kind of short-term goal that we got going on when something goes down, and um, we've become a band that just. I've personally had to really learn how to deal with stress and just like roll with it. It's been an interesting experience for me. I feel like, um, you know, I've learned a lot in this band and uh, in every single way about human relationships and about business and about, you know, and music and art and um, and just the nature of the human being and things like that, which I think are amazing. And I've learned a million things in this band that are, are invaluable um, that you couldn't couldn't go to any school to get that you couldn't you know work in any corporate job and acquire these things and i really don't take that for granted and um i th and whenever one of these things these obstacles happen whether it's a band member leaving or getting hurt or whatever or you know just other things uh, that just make things difficult um there's always some kind of at least at the very least short-term goal that makes us say you know we we can't just, you know, we've gone through this much. It's so stupid to just let this beat us, you know. So I don't know if it's any big, bigger, you know, exciting, triumphant outlook of, like, conquering or not like, we're not like the movie 300 where we're just trying to, like, you know, flex our stomach muscles and scream and wear beards and just kill a thousand people. But uh, we're trying to kill a few every day at a time. <laughs> Slow and steady Slow wins and the steady race. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. You chose um you chose not to get a new manager when your previous manager resigned. Mm. And that was um during was that during or no, um you still had a manager when Miss Machine was released. Yeah. 2005. Mhm. Mm and then um he said um thanks i respectfully i respectfully <laughs> resigned from your organization and then you said okay yeah. i'm going to i'm going to manage the band well it's not exactly like that i mean the reality is is that I, it was my best friend tom we just he was just kind of like that 
that extra guy, the guy who didn't play an instrument, who was always there with us. And, um, I mean, we really co-managed the band the whole time. I mean, there was a very, he was much more like a tour administration. manager. Administration. Yeah, we were kind of the administration. He was more of like a tour manager than anything because that's what we did. You know, we weren't negotiating deals, you know. We had already made our deal that was going to, um, you know, uh, keep us busy for the next bunch of years of our lives. And we weren't, we're not the type of band that's negotiating huge endorsement deals with Pepsi or Coke, and we're not, you know, we're basically just on the road trying to survive and, and keep going and escalating. And so he was our tour manager for many years, and then, like, I would deal with a lot of the label things and, and the artistic things, and then when I needed, you know, I needed Shug White to roll in and regulate and uh, be the bad guy, he was a great figure for that as well. So we were kind of, we were a good team in that way. Um, and when it, when, uh, I guess we were, on the Miss Machine cycle, our last record, we were, we had already started touring for that, and he had gotten an opportunity to um, continue in his family business of restaurants and acquire a restaurant, and uh, I told him he should absolutely do it. And It's just always been that way. Like I've always felt like, okay, he's kind of like comes from this business background, and I'm in this music, you know, business background in a way. And I've always, I've always introduced him to all my contacts, and been like, okay, I need your help with this stuff and this and that, and whatever. But I've always been like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. You know, I need to figure out my future. So it was almost like a, a an agreement. Like, all right, I'm going to keep doing this thing. So if you ever need to get into a show for free, <laughs> I know someone. You do that. So like, when you find a way to make a buck, you know, and I've saved up some money and we can like open a something together, whatever, and and we just continue. He's still involved in the band, and we still. Oh, he is. Yeah, like I mean, he calls me every day. How many records did you sell today? How many? Da, 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 da. You know, so it's it's not even like really like a manager or leaving. It was just like we kind of are like a Dillinger collective, and um, you know, he might not be at the meeting anymore, but like it, it, it's it's really just not really that much different, honestly. So he's still very active. With regards to yeah, I mean he's still. I mean we're everybody in this band. Aside from <laughs> is, he our the, ex- is he the mentor? Is he the uh, is he the uh, spiritual guidance? Yeah, we. I still ask him advice every day and um, about things and talk about it with him. And he still calls the other guys in the band and yells them at them when they're being douches. And it's really hard. This band is so unique in the way that like it's really like the Dillinger Collective, you know. And um, everybody aside from our ex drummer is still like best friends that's ever been in this band been involved in this band worked with this band i mean we all still hang out you know we were all at at a wedding together a couple months ago you know like hanging out and true love for each other and and uh and that's the way it is you know so there was really no reason for you to you felt there was no reason to have uh, have somebody on as, yeah. as a manager person well i mean it's just to be honest with you it kind of got easier when it was just one one you know sometimes too many uh chefs what do they say you know spoils the broth or whatever too many cooks Cooks in the the kitchen kitchen. and uh you know it was definitely easier to just focus everything i'm like all right now i know what i have to do and i don't have to question was it done already you know (laughs) in some respects but um the hardest thing about it is is the interpersonal management of the band members because they still although they like I do all the administrative stuff and that stuff they still think think of me like an equal as a band member so it was always good to have somebody like like a a full-time tour manager guy who to just like yell at dudes or tell them they have to do this or they have to do that because I'm not really the guy 
who they want to hear it from. You yeah, know? exactly. So, I mean, that's something that's been proven to be difficult. But at the same time, I don't see a lot of managers out there doing that with bands. What do you think so, the big, as far as your own personal experiences yeah. or what you see other bands do, mm-hmm. what do you think like the big fallacy of management is? What do you think the biggest, do you think that a lot of things are, mm. a lot of bands hire managers when they really don't have anything to really manage? Well, look, it's hard. They, yeah. They're not making thousands of dollars. Right. They don't got big box office yeah. rates, but this is our manager. He makes right. sure there's gas in the station wagon and drives us to the gate. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's hard to say because every situation is a little bit unique. But there are some things that are like obvious, you know, and um, and what I realized is what like again when when we start working with Tom um, officially, like I realized well we need a tour manager, you know, and there's a difference, you know, and uh, now we have a tour manager who can wake Greg up and tell him to sound check, and but that's you know the point is it's these managers a manager isn't really anything, and that's what people don't really understand like. It's it's just like what is a manager? It's like what is a soul? You know, it's like philosophical. You know, it's I don't know. You know, why is why? You know, you can ask any priest what a soul is, and he probably can't even give you an answer. Well, you could probably ask a manager what a manager is, and he couldn't tell you really what it is. And the truth is, is that he is somebody who just uh, who basically just facilitates the relationships with the bands with everybody else who actually does something. So if there's somebody in the band who has enough brains or enough, you know care for the project to, to sit down and, and figure that out or to maybe just like, you know, ask advice from the right people and this and that, whatever, then, you know, at certain stages, yeah, it doesn't make sense to have a manager, I don't think. But there isn't always, you know, some bands, they just don't have the ability to handle that stuff. So. I think I there's another, the other consideration is, is that you see a lot of bands now, see, is, is there a lot more bands than usual? Just, there are. It's just like, it seems like, you know, there's... Yeah, there's like right now, probably in this neighborhood, there's probably like 19 bands. It's just insane. Starting like that, yeah. it's ins- it's completely insane, and essentially they're all claiming to come from the same scene, man. Right. We're all seen. We're all mm-hmm. this. We're all that. Yeah. We're all we're all in this together. Yeah. We're all brotherhood. It's a it's a subculture. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, you know, it is a underground movement. It is against the man. It is, right. in, or yeah, or bullshit. they just cop the signifiers of that and then go on to sell and then go on to sign a multi-record deal with somebody or something like that yeah what essentially do you looking back at it in this whole circus that i mean you're still part of because you're obviously in Mm -hmm. a band what is your take on the whole i mean seemingly the breaking open of you know just maybe like underground metal in general because it just seems like everybody everybody's got a band everybody's got you you know know, there's there's that right now is a time a very exciting time for for artists because there's never been a time when there's been so much access to self-promotion and and things like that with media and the computers you know and, and the internet and everything it's like the playing field is much more equal for somebody who doesn't have a lot of resources and money and big labels behind them than it is it's much more equal to it, the ability to get self-made videos and and promotion and to buy friend adders and do all the things that labels used to do as far as like sending out samplers and things like that and like pushing bands like any individual with some drive and some know-how can like really get their music out there but the problem is is that it's just oversaturated and um you know it's there's never also been a a greater time for people to create false economies about their music you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know where this things don't correlate 
<laughs> you know, like people look at MySpace friends as a determinant of how big a band is or this or that or whatever. Even scans any don't even count anymore. You know, they really don't determine anything. Sound scans, and that's ridiculous because that's a hard number for the most part. Not exactly, but so um, it's a weird time right now. And um, but I can say that like you know where we differentiate ourselves or where I feel that we're not the same as these bands is like we started at a time this band started at a time when you never could conceive of becoming a big band playing the music that we played it was never a thought in our head that we would ever do this for a living it was never a thought in our head that we could ever be on MTV or that we could ever sell a million records or anything like that and it's impossible for that to happen again it's impossible I don't care what these bands say or what scene they think they say they're from or this or that whatever and I'm not saying it's their fault it's just the circumstance that we're in they could t everywhere they turn there is a blueprint for how to be a rock band everywhere they turn whether they go on YouTube and figure out how to move on stage or whether they go on MTV and figure out how to comb their hair or whether they you know open alternative press and you know say this band's obviously doing very well well they're wearing eyeliner so i'm gonna try that you know what i mean like there, there's never when we started that wasn't the case you know slipknot hadn't sold seven million records when we started this band you know like it, it was just not and i don't care how heavy a band is how crazy a band is the thought is in their head when they start that band that there are things that they can do right or wrong to become a giant band we didn't have that thought i was in school we were all just figuring out what we were going to do our lives. We made a band with no intentions of being big. If we were anything, we'd be psyched if we could play a show in a basement and be the coolest kid in that room, maybe, because we just played. You know? Sure. <laughs> that was it. And um, there's a handful of bands left. Not many of them are left anymore that started during that time that are still somewhat relevant. Maybe like Converge, The Locust, Us, you know. There's not many left that are still ha have some relevance in this scene that started during that time when it really wasn't a, uh, a thought in their head, you know? So that's the difference that I see. Do you think that there is something where there's, it's almost kind of like, here it is, it's kind of like, let me figure out how to phrase this. To me, it's more interesting that people will bust their hump to try to see through some sort of artistic measure to get their thing out there because it's crazy, it's insane, it's, fucked up and I don't care how many 26 hour consecutive drives I have to do I don't care how many meals I skip if I'm up for three days straight writing this piece mm -hmm. as opposed to punk rock or underground metal as a way of life and uh, rather as a uh, as a marketing concept oh if I right. do this 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 I can make this much money and do you know what yeah. I mean it just seems like there's this I, I like the romantic we can all dream about the romantic disconnect between you know just basically suffering to do right. something creative, to, mm -hmm. to purge yourself on a piece of piece of aluminum or mm -hmm. now on an MP3 file, right. as opposed to the uh, the um, you know the the uh, music industry for dummies, you know top forty for dummies type yeah. of you know dumbing down of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And I'm just kind of wondering if you're just kind of you know since the game has completely changed, not only the game but the culture mm. seemingly where it was just you know we just want to. We just want to make some music and just do this, and mm -hmm. and that's it, and it blossoms into something else. Yeah. Uh, do you do you kind of do you see a certain point as where you thought was there one particular turning point where you went, whoa, what the hell just happened? Um. Well, it's it's hard to. I mean, if I could do that, I'd be probably a rich man right now if I could figure all those kind of things out. I mean, I'm just, I guess I mean, what, I'm asking. Time, I, I'm asking when do you think, as far as the underground 
became yeah. this thing that was just completely started to be co-opted and like, well, if I do this and this, it seemed to be a lot well, more I don't mercenary. Think it, you know, I'm not going to say that, that there wasn't things like that going on when we started as a band. I mean, there certainly were, you know, bands that were following the Nirvana thing and like, you know, dress, look, trying to like say, okay, I, like I look homeless and I like write no kind of noisy music. But, you know, with the grunge thing was a huge impact. You know, because that exposed people to things like Jesus Lizard and the Melvins and things like that. And um, but it had this like Nirvana rapping on it where it's like, OK, I could kind of listen to these bands and it'd be influenced by this kind of thing, but still sell millions of records and like be signed to a major label and do all these things. And um, it even made those bands sign to the major labels, you know what I mean? Exactly. So if it did that, imagine <coughs> what it did to kids, you know? who wanted to start bands and things like that and what their perception of what the possibilities were when they started those bands. But, um, I mean, I, right now I see, you know, and it's we're kind of stuck in it, and um, it's something that we can't ignore, and we did for a while, and it probably hurt us, but, like, the whole MySpace thing is obviously brought up a million times, but, like, you know, the ability for, for um, kids to promote themselves on, an, on a minutely basis using this, uh, this, this tool... I think, um, along with all these other um, media resources that, like I said, give you a blueprint of how to make music, how to sound, how to look, all these things, um, at the same time is creating circumstances where people are spending so much more time trying to promote themselves than making great music. Um, and I see myself on the damn MySpace, freaking 24-7, updating tour dates, you know, putting up blogs, trying to... And it's amazing, because, I mean, we didn't have MySpace till just recent, not that long ago. Every band had a MySpace probably a year or two before we even ever even just gave in and was like, we need one of these things, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, we give up, we give up, you know? You couldn't hold out. You no, I know. Um, <laughs> and um, the Ned point is, is uh, you know, there is a problem. And, and then the other thing that I see that's changed... Um, Things from my point of view, as far as like, you know, playing in, in in bands, you know, 15 years ago, still playing in a band today, is that there really isn't any cause be behind anything anymore. Like, and um, it's kind of ironic for me to say because Dillinger really doesn't have a big higher purpose or like some kind of like, you know, big cause or charity that we're <laughs> we're not trying to change the world with anything. We're not political we're not you know we don't have anything like that um we're a very selfish band we just you know write music that applies to our own lives and we're not trying to change the world but at the same time when we started band it was very common for bands to be um representing some kind of cause and then it, it came to a point where like motley crew is cool again you know yeah just slayer you know. was you know accepted in the punk scene and all of a sudden while that kind of stuff helped bands like us who were eclectic and kind of not really definable that easily, it also created kind of this situation where nobody cares about anything except just being big about rock and roll and, like, let's live our lives like the Motley Crue book. Like, there's 16-year-olds out there just, like, trying, you know, there's bands out there that are just, like, trying to do what they think they should be doing to be a big rock and roll band more than they're worrying about their music. And... It's like a big, to me, it's just a big mess right now. And while, when I started, I hated the fact that I had to go see a band and listen to them talk shit about politics or, you know, whatever, veganism for 20 minutes in between every song. <laughs> now it's like, God, does anybody care about anything? Every one of those guys works at a record label now and is a big drunk, you know? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> That's, 
Uh, that's the way the tide turns. I guess so. You cited um, you cited bands that you said have, have really still making still making good music and mm-hmm. and being pure to their uh, to their original goals. As mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned, Converge, and you mentioned the Locust. Uh, anybody else in that short list? You know, unfortunately, a lot of those bands aren't together anymore because because they didn't um, conform to those things and they didn't co- just start in a time when. Um, you know, uh, people, uh, the big, the, the big labels and the big managers could scoop them up easily and turn them into what they want them to be. They, a lot of these bands couldn't survive. Bands like Botch, bands like Coalesce, who are direct kind of peers to us. Oh, they're still, they're back at it. Coalesce is playing some shows, but they can't survive at it. I mean, they all live real lives, have families and they're weekend warriors every now and again. But, uh, you know, I mean, these bands all had to go get real lives because of the way that they conducted themselves, you know, artistically. And, um, yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, you know. Ben, what's your favorite uh, Converge song? <laughs> oh, well, like, hey, this is kind of a cop-out, but The Saddest Day is an amazing song, and I'm really sick of seeing it live because I'm sick of kids piling up on top of each other up into the ceiling and falling down and then running into me and making me fall down, too. Ugh. What a candy ass. This is Converge.
Locust, one of Ben Wyman's favorite bands and one of mine, actually. I, I love me some Locust. Um, probably because, uh, I don't know, they, they really polarize everybody in the room with me. It's a be- and it's a beautiful thing. You just don't get that from no. Nickelback. I don't know why. Nickelback is amazing. <laughs> We're starting to get to the point. Nickelback don't has gotten to the point on that. where we're starting to like them. You know what I'm saying? Really? How come? Because well, there was the Six Feet Under was our was our kind of funny band that's like so okay. ridiculous that you start to like it, and you put it on oh, yeah. and it's like, there's something in the basement. Don't go down there. Don't go down there. And then they come out with another record and it's like Jimi Hendrix covers and stuff. Smoke on the water. <laughs> you know, and then you're like, oh yeah, my yeah, god, yeah. this is amazing. And now Nickelback is actually getting the point where you just want to put on an American flag shirt and hold a beer and just blast it. And and make sure you got your make sure you got your um your uh, your statutory girlfriend. Exactly. With her, with her halter top. Why not? Riding out riding out American the, uh, Dream. Riding in a rusty <laughs> riding in a rusty El Camino truck. God just struck is striking me down right now. No, you're not listening to that <coughs> 70s show. You're listening to the AAP show. I'm here in the studio with Mr. Ben Wyman from the Dillinger Escape Plan. Um, you know, with all the Dillinger clone bands that are out there, uh, do you feel the need to compete? Who are with these that? clone bands? There's so many people Please, that are just like. Somebody tell you know, me who they are. Uh, but I haven't heard one damn band. That okay, like let's us. just say. Let's just say, uh, a lot of bands are doing the doing the whole tech metal math thing, try to play as fast as possible, and all that stuff. You know, you put me on the Is spot here. Like completely, completely. No, you do a lot of different things, but still, I mean, you can't deny the fact that your band has been very, you know, influential to a lot of generations. We didn't of bands. break up, and you've also <laughs> got the fact you've got that. I mean, calculate how many years was it between calculating infinity and uh, Miss Machine? About five years. It's about five years, yeah. which you know, it is an eternity. It is. You can get away with doing that if you're Tool, right? But right, you know. However, but you did have you did have irony as a dead scene. We did that came out in the middle there, and that it was did. that was pretty damn amazing. Well, that, in anybody's that helped language. a lot just because of the the pat thing. You know, it, we got a little bit of a waiver because of that. You know, I see. Gotcha. But I mean, essentially, where do you where do you see where do you envision Dillinger now? Because I mean. Obviously, yeah. you, you. I mean, you've you've influenced a lot of bands. You know what I mean? Well, you're, I, mean I know you're willing. I mean, the same ones that rip off Botch. Uh-huh. You know, I think you know, they're 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 going to be more apt to wear your t-shirts than theirs. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it, people say this to me every day. I've been doing a shit ton of interviews yeah. right now because the record's out, and you know, all these people are like. You know, I, I, I just remember when Miss Machine, the last record came out, everyone's like, oh, I don't like this much as Calculating Infinity, da 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 And now, it's, of course, with time, everyone's like, with the enormous success of the amazing, groundbreaking album, Miss Machine, <laughs> did you feel pressure having to top that? And I'm like, well, I remember them saying, well, you know, the, the same thing about our first record, being like Miss Machine, how could it compare, you know? It's kind of ridiculous. But, um... I, I don't really hear it that much, you know, when I hear these bands. I don't, because I know the intent behind what we're doing. I know our influences. I know what's going into the writing. When I write a song, I know I'm not listening to bands within the genre that we're in or whatever or appears to be influenced. I know, like, what our purpose is, what our thoughts are. I know why I'm playing notes or why I'm not playing notes. And so with that kind of thing cluttering my head, it's very hard for me to hear these bands and, and see a comparison because I just I just don't feel like we're in the same place. Not that they're good, not that they're bad. Do you think their motives are suspect? 
I mean, I yeah, like I said, that, that you can't take away the fact that we live in a time now where there's a blueprint for absolutely fucking everything. When Bowie, not your dog, David, <laughs> <laughs> was was starting, he was just a weird eccentric guy. There was no nobody told him how to be a rock star. He just expressed himself in that way, and it happened to to to, to be music, and it worked out. And uh, you know, nobody nobody told Iggy Pop how to be a rock star. Nobody told you know what I mean. These people are just eccentric artists who use music as an outlet. It's impossible, almost impossible for that to happen now. And it's a shame. And so I think that with any genre, that's that's probably the case. And it's not, again, it's not these people's fault. It's like you can't help being brainwashed when it's around you 24-7. You just can't help it. And I think it's a shame. And there are bands out there that are probably influenced by the same things that we were influenced by or similar things that we were influenced by when we started. And they're probably great. And they probably don't really sound much like us, to be honest with you. But the ones that are just influenced by the bands within the scene right now, and it's just this vicious cycle of bands just sounding all the same, that doesn't, I don't consider that a peer, you know? Oh, yeah, sure. I consider square pusher a peer. I consider, you know, people who are listening to eclectic things and, like, using different things as influences and experimenting in different ways and breaking the rules and things, this and that. And breaking the rules doesn't mean copying a band that broke the rules, you know? Sure. So, um... Again, like I don't know most of these bands that are supposedly sound like us. I've never even heard them. I don't listen to this kind of music. You know, if they come on tour with us or I see them, then you know sometimes they, you know, I'm like, wow, I wish I could play guitar that good, you know, or wow, this this yeah. people have really good work ethic. It's really interesting, you know, they could pull this stuff off. Like, but it's not really my thing, so it's hard for me to comment on these things. You know, it's very hard for me. It's an like I will say, it's an honor if they cite us as an influence. There's no better flattery than a musician saying they love your band and stuff like that. And it's amazing, and I appreciate it. And that's all I can really say. Do you think that with uh, the brand new Dillinger Escape Plan record, Ironworks, I do you think that that record is kind of as far as everything that you've done in your career with Dillinger, do you, is that closest to the sound that's in your head? Yeah, I mean, that is truly, um, this is definitely, I'm definitely the most satisfied with this record than I've ever been with any of our records. It's the first time I did a record and I did go into deep depression afterwards, so. That's you a didn't good go into deep, yeah, yeah. you didn't go into deep depression. <laughs> Why would you go into deep depression after each record? I don't know, I can't figure it out, like. I know after Miss Machine, I just didn't know. For one part of it is like you don't know what to do with yourself because you put so much into this one thing for so long and this and that, whatever. And now it's just done, cut off. That's it. There it is. Like it or leave it, you know. And you almost don't know what to do with yourself. You're just like, uh, I don't know if I want to listen to it. Or if I don't want to listen to it, I don't want to, you know. And then you have to talk about it with everyone. And, and you have to play it every night you when you're out on tour night. for six yeah, months. Yeah, and it's just. Um, you question everything, and you don't know if you could have done something better or whatever, or this and that. And for some reason, I was 100% satisfied with this one. Wow, very good. And maybe part of it is because I, I you know, um, for better or for worse, I was really the only one main, you know, person working on this one, as opposed to me and Chris usually being kind of co-producers at the very least, right. regardless of, like, the writing aspect, that we were at the very least kind of co-producers of the band, so... Gotcha. Um, maybe there was a little more focus and there wasn't things I had, to, you know, I knew things were kind of how I wanted them to be or whatever. So, Do you see this, do, how do you see this record? Have you done everything that you've wanted to do in music? I mean, do you want to, as no far way. as, 
I mean, is there going to be a is there going to be a, a, a Dillinger like a big band record with like you know trombone solos in eleven eight eleven eight yeah <laughs> something like you get your Brian Setzer thing on but yeah. I mean do you know I, I mean Brian is there Setzer. you've done I mean you've done a lot of a lot of stuff each record has been significantly marked and you know in in how different it is and mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering what's what's up next I mean I, don't know. I know you've just yeah. you've obviously just released yeah. the record but. You know, I know that you've you've been immersing yourself in electronics, and mm-hmm. you know you're obviously not making you know uh, running board anymore. Yeah, and you're not even making you know irony anymore. Irony is yeah. a dead scene. So I mean, I just kind of how do you see the evolution of the whole band at this point in time, especially with you um, as like the, the last dude standing? Yeah, no, I think that the sky's the limit, and um, that's what's exciting about this band. I feel like we've weathered the storm. We've weathered, you know. I think metal core is like new metal now. You know, we've we've been there through new metal. We've been there through metalcore, whatever they call it. Yeah. You know, I mean, and those those bands are starting to be the same deal. You know, like a million don't sound the same. It's not really that cool anymore. You know, and we've and we're still here. And we're a bigger band today than we were yesterday, and we're more and we're we're we're, re- we're still relevant as a band and as a business. And um, so uh, I just feel it's a very exciting time for us right now, honestly because the band's never been more positive. We've never gotten along better. We've never been more happy artistically. The vibe in the air is great. Um, having new blood is exciting because, you know, people always say, like, how has having all these new members affected the music? In some ways, some some like having new members can really hurt a band and the quality of the band and could dilute it from what it was originally. But for us, continuing to bring people into this band that are so excited about the music and we're fans. And now every at this point everybody in the band except for myself was a true fan of Dillinger and we're almost you know the legend of Dillinger and the stories about us are just as important as the music itself and these things drive these people to come in and fill these shoes with a like maybe sometimes over exaggerated expectation of what's demanding what's expected of them and the fact that they just want to stay true to their 18-year-old, 17-year-old self that was going to see Dillinger when they go and step in these shoes keeps this band alive. You know, that's, that, is, that kind of drive and that kind of attitude is what this band's about. And as soon as somebody starts to lose that and build down, I'm goodbye anyway. You know, I'm happy for them to leave. I mean, you know? but they've obviously said, "Hey, I can't maintain this anymore." Your first, your first singer, Dimitri. Yeah. Still very close. I mean, you're still yeah. buds. Of course. And I think he even started. His, wasn't didn't he have his own band for a while called Tokyo? He or did. Like I actually was producing it. So I, you know, I don't. Know, it just seemed kind of weird. Why would I start another band when the band that yeah. I was been in once before <laughs> was already <coughs> kicking ass, taking names, and you know? I think I should have worked on him. I was like, <coughs> <laughs> um. Go rob a bank. Where but serious, face? folks. No, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is is that when we started this band, it was just like a bunch of guys in high school, you yeah. know, and I heard this guy, Chris Penny, just jamming in his basement. Nobody, you know, just thinking that one day some guy from a record that was going to jog by and be like, hey, Katie, you got some talent. Yeah. You want a record deal, you know? I'm like, no. The producers. Let's, let's yeah, let's, uh, let's start a band and I started getting us shows doing the, what I do now you know just Things getting out change. there and then I saw Dimitri in gym class he was this big dude with a shaved head and I'm like that dude looks like a singer <laughs> <laughs> so he was our singer <laughs> you know and that was it okay. sure. and I mean it was really that that simple you know it wasn't like um and and it went went like that and uh 
then it got to the point where, like I said, it turned into something different. We we started to do this more seriously. There was a demand for us. People actually kind of dug it. You know, we got opportunities to tour the world. We were going to Japan. We we're going to this, that, whatever. And we had to decide, are we going to do this for real or are we going to do this as a hobby? And we decided to do it for real. And he just didn't, he wasn't a musician. He wasn't, his heart wasn't in this stuff. He just like thought it was cool to be a band when we started, you know, and he just didn't have the heart to, to do it all the way. And it was kind of a mutual thing that, you know, if he's going to, you know, he was uh, getting married and this and that, whatever. And, and it just made sense. Um, he was already kind of skipping out on shows for some family things and, it was totally cool, dames. but yeah, dames. dames. Skirts. Skirts. Oh, uh, you know he's a dame. <laughs> Man. Just Yeah. But I mean he didn't have that, that attitude that we needed anymore and he knew it and we knew it and uh it just made sense, you know. You're two new guys. Mm. Um where did you, I guess let's start with let's start with Gil. Gil okay. Sharon. Yeah. Who is in a band called Stolen Babies? That's right. Which, uh, which uh, world's number one Dillinger Escape Plan fan Aaron Burgess described as uh, cabaret metal. I'd say that's an accurate Ca- cabaret metal for people who like the Dresden Dolls. Yeah, it's kind of got that. You know, they've toured with like Sleepy Time Trio, oh, Sleepy Time, and Gorilla Museum. Okay, and they, uh, they, yeah, they. His twin brother plays bass in that band, and he doesn't right. have any eyebrows. Oh, okay, gotcha. Which is interesting. So to he's me, like, because so it's he's... like looking at Gil with no eyebrows. It's oh, weird. so it's kind of like no eyebrows. So that basically makes him a tech for Marilyn Manson, I guess. He kind of looks. He does kind of have that twiggy, that old school twiggy look. Well, so what's so Gil Sharon, L.A. Yeah, how did you this guys, happen? Dirtbag New Jersey <laughs> yeah. Incorporated. He's what? Like... How'd this happen? It was very interesting. Yeah, like you know, when we first started talking to him, he was like doing session work for like. Maynard, you know, and oh, okay, yeah, he is on that. He's on Pussifer the, the Pussifer record, yeah. record. Yes, he's on Maynard James Keenan's Pussifer record. Um, but uh, yeah, he was actually. It was a really tough time because when we needed a drummer, it was couldn't have been worse timing. Um, you know, it couldn't have been a harder member to replace. You know, and um, we were kind of stuck in a situation. So, um, myself and a friend of mine who helps us on, he's out on the road with us. Um, we just started like programming together we're just like i'm like you can sit at a computer for 14 hours straight come to my house right now you're about to sit in front of a computer for 14 hours straight and just weeks straight (laughs) and uh we sat there and we started programming all the drums as a backup and simultaneously greg was searching youtube for like dudes just typing dillinger escape plan drums and like finding kids thinking they could play our songs you know like like that's kind of right minus the 1400 notes in between those hits (laughs) uh and um, and then, like, we started asking, you know, people we know. And I had talked to a couple great drummers. And, you know, we were, when we started, you know, at first we thought we were doomed. And then we realized that there are a lot of great drummers out there that really respect what we do. And the truth is, is that for a drummer, we're kind of a dream band, you know, because that we're all, all you know, it puts them in a certain light by filling the shoes of Chris. And, like, you know, considering we're known as, like, a band that's, like, pushed boundaries, musicians as a musician-wise, and blah, blah, blah. So we started talking to um, this guy, Morgan Agron, from Sweden, who played with Zappa for a little bit. Um, Morgan Agron. And he played okay. with Frederick Thornton from Sugar on his solo work. Oh, okay, and all right. He's done a million sessions. He's probably, he was like, he's a ridiculous drummer, and he was very into the idea 
Um, I, I knew he could do anything that we were doing hands down, but he didn't want to leave Sweden. So I was like, ah, that may not be the best idea. So maybe Dames. we'll send him some shit. <laughs> exactly. Shut up, um, you big Swedish girl. Yeah. That's how they are. Yeah. You know, they don't ever want to come here. States are too big. You know, they don't want to drive it's really an hour. It's expensive there. In Sweden? $2 for like a candy bar. Yeah, but they also get funding to be musicians, which That's is true pretty too. amazing. Yeah, like that douche in International Noise Conspiracy. Exactly. Dude's yeah. rich already, and he gets the free tour bus because he's from Sweden. Yeah, and then he raised the whole like, you know, capitalism that killed my girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> FTG, but um, so, so um, you had, so, so yeah. did you have a bunch of like did you have a bunch of like name players like Dillinger? Yeah. Hell yeah, I'll step up for that. Didn't you have we like did, um, didn't you have like crazy people like uh, uh, like Terry Bozio or something? Terry like Bozio that? said he'd help us out. Um, for those you of you know. who don't know Terry Bozio, Terry Bozio does a lot of drum clinics, and he's he was also the drummer Missing Persons, but he really like basically yeah. cut his teeth playing with Frank Zappa. Yeah, exactly. He was in uh, he was in UK. Yeah, with with Eddie Jobson and John mm -hmm. Wenton, and um, the you guy's amazing. He's got the, the the whole the drum kit takes like what thirteen like semi trucks, ridiculous, like four Biggest kick drum drums, kit nineteen semi. Yeah, completely. he's a very musical drummer. Oh, and, completely. Uh, he he and, uses know. his drum kit like a like a like an instrument. You know, he's got like five thousand toms all tuned specifically. So sure, he can completely. Almost play music. And this guy, I mean, he's essentially you know he's basically he's the guy. God. He's the, basically <laughs> the guy that Josh Freese looks up to, and anybody yeah. who knows punk rock or extreme music knows yeah. Josh Freese. Yeah. Fifteen hundred bucks a song, John Freese. Josh Freese plays on your mm -hmm. record, so so we got the so guy you got who the guy Josh who's Freese. like who influences yeah. Josh Freese is stepping up, saying, "Hey, yeah, he you said guys he, would, he would help us out with whatever we need." I mean, I've known him and his family for a while now, and they're amazing people. And I'm actually probably I'm working on a little side project with his kid, okay. Rainin Basio, who also plays drums and is amazing. And uh, he's like 17, rips it. And, uh, wow! And, and Brent from Mastodon and, and some other people we were talking about doing some so a band together. But at any rate, but you had so, all these people. You had some other who who else, who else uh, kind of stepped up with the same. This way. guy's John Reinhardt from this band Cynic, who was basically Canadian. Uh, I don't, no, they're not Canadian. Um, but they were they put one record out on Roadrunner. They were like a really progressive metal band. Oh, okay. All and right. they he was Chris's all time favorite drummer. This guy Chris wouldn't even play drums if it wasn't for this guy Sean Reinhardt he was this guy who played on like one death record the most difficult death record and then like no drummer could play those songs live after that <laughs> gotcha. he played on a cruise ship for two years just playing reggae and jazz you know he the guy is just a phenomenal phenomenal drummer and he was interested in doing it um, scheduling didn't exactly work out because the, the cynic was doing a reunion or something okay. tour and blah 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 but that was I mean god that was an amazing thing I mean there's all kinds of things, and we realize that, that you know we we can still do this. There are great drummers out there, and you know there's no reason why we can't continue. Drums don't write songs, no matter how good a drummer is, they don't write songs. And there's other great drummers out there. So simultaneously, I was programming the drums. We were talking to all these people, trying to figure out scheduling, and none of it was exactly perfect considering our circumstances. And then we wanted to get a record out somewhere somewhere within the time period of four years, three years, five sure. years, whatever. Five years. <laughs> And a friend of ours recommend actually this guy Chris Hornbrook from Poison the Well, who uh, works for who worked for a drum company that Gil plays for, knows Chris our drummer very well as a drummer himself. Um, he's like this guy Gil Sharon is the dude. He can play all your stuff. He's the best drummer I know, hands down, the best drummer I've heard. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty crazy to say. And but you do know what is entailed for playing in our band and sure. you're a drummer yourself and 
I pretty much trust that you know now. Um, so we sent this guy, Gil, the program drums. I sent him in different speeds because they were MIDI, and I had the ability to do that. And he was able to hear what was going on and things like that. And he started learning them, but he was on tour with his band, Stolen Babies. So he just kind of like had the headphones on, practiced on sound checks. I had no idea if he could do it or not. We show up to California three days before we're going to start recording and jam. Worked out great, and uh, we didn't use any of the program drums. He played on everything. Let's play a track off of Ironworks. What, um, which one, which track, which track completely uh, blew your ass away when Gil, Gil, let's, when let's Gil play, stepped up? Which let's one? play Lurch if you want to hear some drumming that'll blow your mind. I don't know your name,
Hollywood Squares by the Dillinger Escape Plan with Mr. Mike Patton from Irony is a Dead Scene. Hollywood Squares. That's that's. I think it's that is that is my. I think that's that's. I think it's my favorite Dillinger song. Cool. Yeah, I I'll just like that because the kind of it's just kind of it's it's kind of like yeah. several several beats in the face quickly yeah. and, and swiftly. And before that, we heard Lurch featuring the ass kicking Gil Sharon. The drummer who replaced Chris Penny, who went off to play with Coheed and Cambria, and that's pretty much a subject that's a kind of a dead scene at this point for you to talk about, I would imagine. Um, the only yeah. thing that I would probably would like to talk about regarding that would be the fact that uh, you know Chris was obviously a big part of the band, mm-hmm. um, and you know that can't that certainly can't be denied. Um, Yet you were saying earlier in the thing that uh, this is the first record you did without a sense of depression after after finishing it. <laughs> so I'm just kind of wondering. Um, how somebody in your end, you know, essentially this guy, I mean, Chris Payne was essentially, the way I'm understanding it musically, he was kind of your right-hand guy. Yeah, I mean, it was me, like, you know, we knew in the past that as long as we were together, we could still be Dillinger, you know, and so then obviously it was a question of whether we can continue when he left, and, um, but the fact is, is that, you know, we, like I said, we realized that he's not, there are great drummers out there, drums don't write songs, his style and his and what he brought to the table is extremely important for Dillinger, and I I um, bless every day I had the opportunity to play with him. But I can say that personally, I've never been happier not having to deal with him. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. You know, and we're the positivity in the band is just uh, uh, energy from that is just um, invaluable. So, um, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's like you know. It was great to have someone like Gil who could do all the things and all the stylistic things that Chris brought to the table. Um, although Chris pioneered some of these styles, you know, Gil and a lot of drummers out there, um, a lot of the stuff that we do is based off of things that real seasoned drummers really understand. Like, okay, a part that some kid would just think, that's a crazy fucked up rhythm, you know? Like, Gil's like, oh, that's the clave part. That's the clave part. Like, okay. that's a total or that's the samba part that we just sped up really quick and like just put it in different time signatures. You know, he really gets it. He's really, sure. the, you know, and we needed a guy like that that could like pick it apart as not just like this crazy weird band, but there is some method behind it and there is some influence and he hears it like we hear it, you know. So it really worked out great to have someone who could step into those shoes, could technically do all the things that we did in the past, but then bring all these other influences to the table. He's very soulful. He played with Fishbone for a while. He, okay. You know, he's got a lot of varied backgrounds, so it's really fun to uh, just have something new. How many know? guitar How many guitar players have you burned out in the past um, 10 years? Well, <laughs> let's see. The first EP was just me on it. Then we right. did another EP with uh, John Fulton. That's um, right. And he, that was a three-song EP, and then uh, he went off to college. He didn't want to tour. He didn't want to do that kind of thing. He wanted to be a computer science guy, so he went and did that. And then we got Brian, who was playing in Jesuit, a band that we were touring with right. at the time. And then um, after that, uh, his hand started going bad, and he couldn't play some shows, so we got a friend of ours, James Love, to fill in. That's right. And um, he was mentioned in the he was mentioned in the uh, the infamous Dillinger Escape Plan on the Megadeth. What was that tour? The Megadeth, um, the Gigantor, the Gigantor with right. Megadeth. So he was filling in uh, on and off while Brian's hand wasn't working so well. Then you know he started filling in a little more permanently. Um, and then uh, when we realized that uh, we had to replace Brian, t- probably you know permanently because his hand just wasn't working, he moved. He started a new life. Uh, we brought in Jeff Tuttle, which is a new guy right now, who played in a band called Heads Will Roll. 
from Detroit. Um, played a few shows with us. Was a friend of ours, and he just—it just made sense. He had the same attitude, the drive. Um, does he swing a mean headstock? He does swing quite a mean <laughs> headstock, and he's got Davy Havoc hair too. Oh, he does. So I figure that's a good asset. Very nice. <laughs> Havoc hair and a mean headstock swing. That's that's all right. In case you haven't seen Dillinger Escape playing live, don't get up front unless you have really good health insurance. Um, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of um, I don't know. It's not really implied violence. I, I think it just all kind of happens as a the way I, the way I look at it. It's all basically and re, it's reflexive to the music. This isn't this isn't any type of grandstanding showbiz thing. This is like trying to get this stuff up. It's basically like that old thing about Dobermans. How the the legend about Doberman pinchers is that uh, their skulls are too small for their brains, so their brains get big and then they're constantly mean because they're constantly really? in pain and they have to get. Yeah, but that's not true. But that's like the old wives' tale about true Doberman pinchers. That's kind of like, you know, that's the kind of metaphor I like to use for Dillinger Escape Plan. That, uh, that and the, the typical thing of like the big fire burning in a really, really small space. Do you like any of those? Do you want to use any of those? Do you want to, I mean. Write them down. Okay, gotcha. We'll get them. They need that. Send them out and f- file them off in triplicate someplace. But Thank I mean, you, you know, it, it's that type of thing that you, you, you're doing it and it's just, is it kind of like you? there's some sort of inner switch that you just throw and, you know. Yeah, well, I, like I said, I talked about earlier about how the band you know the le- the legend of us and whatever and the stories about us is just as important as the music in this itself and a lot of these guys that are joining the band you know are so excited to 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 play this stuff and to step into the shoes of the people that they watched all those years and uh you know that they they feel like they have to stay true to their fanboy self and like really come up and step up to the plate and they know what's expected of them and what is involved with this band and it's almost like you can't get up on that stage and not do it it's like it just absorbs you. The band just just it's like the blob. It just sucks you in, and like you can't escape the vibe. It's like when everyone's up there exploding, just you can't not explode. And um, for me, you know, it's a little different story. I was in, I've been playing this man for ten years, and it's become so innate. It's such a part of it. it. Would be like you know playing without my my low E string. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Like it just goes together. It doesn't mean I can't go up there and not do it. You know, I've gone up. I have a broken foot right now, and I'm still doing it. You know, it's like yeah, you you impaled you impaled the uh, the the strap end yeah of your guitar into your foot. You were shooting a video, right? Yeah, it's just part of it, you know. And um, you know, it's I've I've used this comparison before. You know, I I think about Henry Rollins a lot. You know, and I think people have compared Greg, our, our singer, who was not our original singer, our second singer, right, to this Henry Rollins scenario a lot, where this guy. This a very similar build, bulky, uh, intimidating figure comes into a band and just starts really taking it to the next level in many ways. And um, the truth is, is that, you know, Black Flag was just this crazy band on the West Coast that Henry Rollins heard stories about, you know, and it probably the riot he heard about their show was like two people getting in a fight. And then by the time it got to him, by the time it, it was a DC riot. By the time it got to D.C. on the other side of the thing, it the time like it got to DC, it was a 2, riot. 2,000 you know? people down. <laughs> yeah, the singer, you know, the singer who like, would like bash the mic over his head and bleed every night. One day he slipped and probably cut his eye, and it was awesome. He yeah, went with sure. it. It was punk, but that was probably the extent of it. You know what I mean? And like, uh, you know, when he joined that band, he really felt like, okay, I need to like keep this alive. I need to join this band and and stay true to the the band that I'm a fan of, the stories that I was excited by, and I need to take it to the next level. And that expectation that you have on yourself, you know, can really bring life life to a band. And um, I think it's very similar with some of these guys that are playing with us now. They're just so pumped by the idea of Dillinger and what it is 
that it, it just keeps it keeps that live energy just alive you know there's a lot of there's a lot of mythology you talk about that mythology there's a lot of mythology mm. about your band yeah but i have to say that almost every single story is actually true well i will stand by i it, mean yeah i mean the mythology is good now for instance you were um you were being courted by major labels yeah and essentially uh, a lot of major labels wanted to do one of two things they wanted to essentially make you the next system of a down the way i understand it they wanted mm. to they wanted to mold you mold dillinger into the next system of a down because they knew that was selling right and then somebody actually suggested that you write songs with the matrix which is the team of <laughs> folks that did songs with uh, avril levine i yeah, believe no that's not that's not i never heard that one. really you <laughs> never heard that i thought i heard that some the matrix wrote the last corn record <laughs> yeah exactly sure but, well, you uh, know. no they did uh, corn avril I, levine did, did, did I whoever produced disturbed they just suggested we work with that guy i don't even know who he is johnny k is that who it is yes uh, my nephew loves disturbed that's how i know that the Waka Waka band? Yeah, the, the angry monkey. Waka Waka. So, yeah, I mean, you've just, but I mean, essentially that was it. That was it. And I know that, you know, obviously. I would say been, happy Hanukkah man. to the singer from Disturbed today. <laughs> Dave Draymond, what's up? Dra- Draymond, Draymond, Draymond. I yes. made it out of play. Um, the, uh, what I'm just kind of wondering is like, awesome. there are all of these stories. I mean, mm-hmm. there are stories, yeah. you know, because I, I did hear the one that some major label said, well, you know. You know, and yeah. then I, I have repeatedly heard that you know they were tra- a lot of major labels because System of a Down was selling boot yeah. stuff. They were going to for- you know were going to form you know you know Dillinger into that. The, yeah. Yeah, you know, and probably, also, yeah. and you know, also, and then you know, that's probably another reason why you probably didn't sign to the major. I know. What's your relationship with Relapse like now? Have you fulfilled all of your all of your records? Well, this to record does fulfill the contract. Um, our relationship has been really good with them. Um, I know that they've done their best with us with the resources that they have. They don't have a whole lot of bands that sell a lot of records. Sure. So under those circumstances, it is difficult to be, um, you know, breaking ground um, for the label. Um, and, uh, you know, like there's certain things that we've been able to do with Relapse that other bands haven't on the label. And that's exciting. It's cool that we've, you know, maybe opened some doors for other bands and for the label. Um but yeah, I mean, aside from, I mean, it's really been a pretty healthy relationship ever since we put out our last record, Miss Machine, and then this one, Ironworks. Um, we've really been working together for the same goal, and um, we're pretty happy. Initially, we signed a really bad contract, right? And um, we renegotiated a little bit instead of you know going off and signing to these majors, and made it a little more fair, as far as just like you know the our ability to do what we do to continue and stay alive and survive and that and there's no armenians in your band <laughs> well you know get, that gets sticky <laughs> <laughs> and then um as far as uh i'm trying to think there's there's there were a couple fantastic stores store tories tour stories yeah that all I mean, true the one i'll tell you right now the three rumors that aren't true Everything okay tell, tell, tell us the three that rumors we write songs true. by rolling dice not true. How do, you, how, do you write a song, how do you write a song by rolling dice? That we just—that's the time signature or something. I don't know. Oh, it, but we, uh, using the like multi-sided dungeons, dungeons and dragons <laughs> type. Thing. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> okay, all right. We Number don't roll, two. We don't. We, we don't write our songs by rolling dice, but we do write our songs by throwing pots and pans downstairs and then learning the noises. Leslie Simon, the managing editor at Alternative Press, when she hears me playing my Japanese records yeah, like oh Mersbau, all that stuff. You do not play Mersbau. She, I sure do. We'll go up nice. on my iTunes right now. She says uh, she refers to that as Japanese pots and pans music. Holy sh- You're crazy. Yeah, that's like, You're a crazy mofo. I, if you play that stuff really low, it's like let's play music. some Mersbau right now. All right. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> good answer. Good answer. We'll we'll play that. That was me, 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 by Mersbo. Uh, okay, so what do you got? What do you? Um, uh, so the dicing isn't true. I sharpen my headstock. You Just, sharpen your head. Oh, you like that's plane. not true. And that uh, the, I think you said the other one that 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 that. Uh, the Matrix was going to write our album. I never heard that the, one before. Some, some, the, some major label yeah. wanted you wanted you to work with the Matrix if no, you signed to them. They might have. I just never heard about it. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, aside from that, I think everything else is true. <laughs> I mean, it's, but and you've also been in a bunch of really weird touring situations. You did yeah. do the whole Megadeth Gigantor, which mm. who else was on that bill? Dream Theater, Fear Factory, Megadeth. You know, Jason's eyes glaze over. Um, well, so yeah, dream, th- dream, theater, dream theater, dream theater, dream theater. In, in the words of Truman Capote, so talking <laughs> about Jack Kerouac, yeah. that's not writing, that's typing. Wow. And then, um, and then, obviously, Megadeth being Megadeth, as you know, as hard rock and as Christian Dave Mustaine could be. Yeah. Um, but that's just a weird situation for your band to be in. It is. You know that, and it was well documented in the you know in the, in the tour diary. The ran. interesting you know, piece you in, guys did there. You know. And um, so that, that's just kind of weird. And then also you did the AFI thing. Yeah. Where you were playing to a lot of. Hot topics. Uh, uh, yeah. A, a lot of people, a lot of, uh, a lot of young people who like probably, you know, get all their AFI gear at Hot Topic. Uh-huh. I'm not dissing on Hot Topic because I just wish there was a cool stuff so I could get all my, all the stuff that was big right. in my culture yeah, back, yeah. you know, when I was, had uh-huh. an actual 28 inch waist I'm and could sure see my shoes. A, sure, there's a class shirt or two up there. I'm, I should go, well, let's go out afterward after we're done here. Black flag outfits. But, <laughs> you know, and, and so, and that's a weird thing because you did the, you did the AFI uh-huh. tour and I'm sure that was all weird type of thing too. It was. Um, but you were requested by the band. Yeah. I mean, we've been friends with the band for a really long time and, you know, we played, Back in the day, we would play festivals and stuff like that, like Crazy Fest in Louisville and things with those guys before they were on a big label when they were, you know, when they were still a punk, you know, for the most part, a punk band. Um, I had all their seven inches back in the day. And, you know, uh, it was there. The um, the truth is, is that we've always kind of done things differently than other like heavy, like predominantly metal bands, you know, and uh We've never played in Ozfest. We've never toured with bands like you know Lamb of God or these bands or Slayer or anything like that. Um, and perhaps it's it's hurt us, you know, because we've we've alienated some of our potential fans that way. But we've also created a much more diverse fan base by just you know doing things a little differently. And I'm proud of that, and it's cool. And um, you know, for us, I I just feel like we've done better in scenarios where we've put ourselves in front of young impressionable kids, like at a Warp tour or something like that, than in front of you know, 35-year-old construction workers who are drunk off their ass. Yelling for Metallica Yelling for Metallica covers. You know, and um, I mean, that's the point. Isn't that the point? To, like, change people's minds, to blow minds, not just, you know, be in front of the kids who just want to mosh. Like, I know that for a fact that most of these people out there, um, I know, I, I mean, hey, I never had an older brother that listened to Black Flag. I never had an older sister who introduced me to cool music. She listened to, uh, you know, um, you know the the soundtrack from uh you know general hospital with uh you know whatever that guy is rick springfield yeah you know what i mean like whatever rick springfield yeah you know my parents listen to show too jack wagner jack wagner oh that's right it's just a little more time <laughs> that's right dude but see i know that that's because right. that's what that was around me you know and i happened to to, to you know fall upon i actually went to see like a more, I can't remember what it was, but I saw like some a metal band that had some like punk, more punk bands opening for them, and it really opened my eyes. 
And um, so in the same fashion, I felt like it's our duty to kind of do that to young kids and show them that there's something else out there. Do you think that uh, do you think that um, kids today, the younger generations, <laughs> do you think there is an open-minded thing, or is it just like I listen to this and I listen to only this, and if it's not this, no, I think it, they are open-minded. I think they're extremely impressionable as always. Um, I think there's a need for the Fallout Boys and things like that because there always has to be some band with a big money behind them that creates magazines to put posters up on a little girl's wall and that's always going to be there and I think it's always going to be a need for that but then those kids need to then expand their mind from that and and and, and he, dive into new things which will then in turn open their eyes to even other things whether it be you know uh King Crimson after listening to a Dillinger Escape Plan or something like that and sure. I see that happen all the time I talk to kids at our shows all the time kids who said two months ago all, the heaviest thing I knew was Slipknot and now I'm listening to like all the botch and all these converge and all these old bands because I got into you and I did a search on Amazon and said people who bought this also bought this you know <laughs> okay, and it's like sure. and I mean and uh, that that to me is the name of the game you know do you think that uh, in a lot of aspects metal in general has been kind of like you know the ugly stepchild because you have you come out of I mean it's it's you know you're, you're primarily known as a metal band right at the, at the base of everything is metal but do you think that my thing is that bands like Dillinger or even a band like the Blood Brothers rest in peace who I think yeah. could have gotten more press and more you know love from certain things which are considered alternative rock or indie rock yeah. they come from these you know the these scenes are somehow they're seemingly, you know, ghettoized things like metal and because mm. you've seen once you've seen one crowd of five hundred guys with long hair making a devil right. sign, that turns into a parody of itself. Yeah, and therefore you know just like oh that's just some dumb metal oh Metallica excuse yeah. me you know what I mean. So do you think that a lot and a lot of times a lot of people who are doing something creative uh -huh. that's really not just by the book metal by numbers or hardcore by numbers? Uh -huh. Do you think a lot of them get marginalized from not even like obviously the other quarters that they're trying to re break uh -huh. out of but from the very you know from but from the very group that they started from the very you know genre or subgenre that they've started in yeah i mean i see see it all the time i mean you know i think it's even hard i think for us we see the prejudice more from other creative bands you know because they just say oh that's that metal band you know like i think that i doubt a mars volta would take us on tour Really? Because they probably just look at us as a metal band, you know? Really? Or I doubt, you know, um, I don't know, you know, or probably, you know. Considering that the Mars Volta came from, you know, obviously those, you know, those right, guys from the underground. Driving. Right. It came up from a certain I mean, I'm talking from my ass a little bit, but I have this, I get the feeling that probably a lot of these guys are so concerned with keeping themselves focused at like, all right, I'm just going to hang out with dudes and jazz bands and things like this and art, art bands to make sure I justify my major label circumstance as much as possible or my creative outlet is I'm constantly influenced by the kind of things I want to be influenced by and not, you know, I don't know. I mean, a lot okay. of bands that I think are great and this and that, whatever, that I consider more peers to me than like a, like a, like a heavy band probably might not see us that way because of the way we're generalized as just a heavy band. I mean, we're, you know, friendly with the Blood Brothers and I've, I love the band, but you know they've never accepted to go on tour with us you know because they probably stereotype our crowd as being like someone who wouldn't get them or that we're I just met. you know what i mean sure. and so um you know this isn't talking shit on those bands it's just a straight up fact that probably the fact that we come from this genre and from this background probably makes uh it, 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 we're probably almost more um you know pigeonholed 
by other creative bands than we are by kids who just think of it all as like, you know, wow, you know, this is interesting, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. Sometimes I kind of I think that this kind of that whole type of I would like to think that some of your more indie rock things, things like, you know, Pitchfork or, you know, Magnet Magazine or something like that would really step up and embrace something that's totally, you know, but because it comes from metal and hardcore and not wussy ass backpack and barrettes, (laughs) beard core slash alternative Americana type stuff. It's kind of, you know, it just really kind of I think you guys are. It's true. Whereas, you know, I still think you guys bring the noise and something very, I mean, like, you know, obviously, what, 15, 20 years ago, they'd be writing about, you know, Jesus Lizard, Halo Fly, stuff like that, where there's that that type of, you know, Well, yeah, I find, like, these metal bands and these underground bands and these bands that have been influenced by maybe what we do or some of our other bands, those bands that are coming from this genre look at us as these groundbreaking, as a groundbreaking band. But the bands from probably other genres can just kind of generalize us with those bands probably you know uh, a couple things i just wanted to bring up before we sign off on this podcast you auditioned for nine inch nails i did when was that was that pre post no was that before uh, putting together a band for with teeth they were they were putting a band together for with teeth um i was actually on tour with dillinger at the time and um atticus ross um familiar with him he 12 rounds he was in 12 rounds and, and he was in error with um in error with greg with greg and brett, and gerwitz, brett from... gerwitz and he's trent's right hand man in the studio now sure. for this dude so he had um asked greg if to i think you know i think that uh ben would be awesome for this and greg gave him my number and he called me he's like could you come out and try out and i was like well damn nice and male is one of my favorite bands I can't come now, <laughs> but if you still don't have a guy in a couple weeks, I'll definitely jam with you guys, you know? And um, they ended up getting somebody else before I even uh, met up with them, but he didn't work out very well, and uh, I ended up going, like, seriously with one day's notice and just kind of jamming out a little bit. Didn't really know the songs very well, and... um yeah, it just didn't make sense. it didn't work out, you know. But it was cool. It was a cool. It was definitely a cool experience. All right. So the the rumor, the legend that we've heard is that yeah. there's a whole big, essentially a huge soundstage that yeah. approximates like an arena gig. It was awesome, man. Like I've never been in a situation like that. <laughs> like seriously, like I didn't know if I would do it or if, if you know if it worked out. You know, I I I didn't even know if I would do it. I didn't know if I could. Did do you play it at his at his home or did you play it? We soundstage? played at some soundstage. I was like thinking okay. to myself, you know, I said right away to like Atticus, I'm like, could you know Dillinger tour with Nine Nails? <laughs> he doesn't you know? even have the gig like, yet, and he's already trying to the gig band I'm in. trying to figure out how to like make it work to benefit Dillinger, you know, and. Sure. That was probably not such a good idea. But um it was cool. Like to me it was just really cool to like see how a band on that level works. Um you know, you walk in there's I have like five techs. Like what kind of amp do you want? What kind of guitar do you want? Like throwing guitars on my head and like you know, um there's like pro tools guys all around me and there's a giant sound stage and a monitors and soundboard and like <clears throat> it was just crazy, you know. It was just, uh, you know, it was just insane. You know, there's assistants picking me up and dragging me around. I'm like, whoa, dude. I was like, they're like, where are you staying? And I'm like, I'm just staying at my friend's house. <laughs> you know, like, I don't really need Big a Big weight hotel. set, universal gym. Uh, yeah. 
protein shake, little yeah, yeah. Little, little protein shake. Yeah, I, there was. I'll tell you some funny stories, and you know Trent, right? Yes. So this might be humorous to you. I was like, this is uh, just really odd to me, but I'm not gonna not be myself because <laughs> there's just no point in that. So I walk in. So I'm actually System of the Down was practicing next door, and I saw one of their tech guys outside, and I had known them because we had toured with them in Europe. Right. So I started talking to him, and uh, Trent comes and walks into this the studio that they're in, and like his tech runs up to me. He's like, Trent's here. You better get in there right now. You better get in there. You just go. Just go. Stop. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Just go. I'll bring your drink. Just go. Go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. You know, like I'm right here. Like next, to, I'm just standing here waiting, you know? And um, then uh, I walk in, and, the, and he's like, so what song did you want to jam on? I'm like... I think first we should talk about, uh, I have some ideas for the title of the record. Nobody laughed. Nobody laughed. Yeah. Okay. There was not a, there was not a, a, a smirk. Oh dear. Uh, Oops. That was number one. <laughs> mistake nice. number one. No, mistake number one was asking if Dillinger could tour. Yeah. The, okay. The yeah. Nine before I even walked into the place. Number two is that saying I have ideas for the title for the record. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Nobody. And uh, number three was probably the fact that I didn't know the songs and I just finger tapped over fucking two of the songs. Nice. Very <laughs> number nice. Three, number four was uh, I said, uh, let's try an easy one. Let's do Wish, just because I knew that song. Sure, because Dylan Tree covered his an iTunes yeah, exclusive. And, and, yeah, and when I said an easy one. I think he didn't. That didn't go over well with him. <laughs> so he managed. So he decided to pick out everything I did wrong. Every pick way I held my hand wrong for that song, or like, you know, didn't do it the way he wanted it. Or and I remember I was just like, well, this is how the other guy did it on the live DVD. He's like, well, he did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I never said anything. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so it was fun. It was definitely a fun experience. Wow. One day I too. We'll have four techs at practice. One of these days. Yeah. One of these days, Alice, to the moon, yeah. to the moon. And let's uh, let's end this on a let's end this on a rather uh, non-musical note. Yeah. I hear that you're actually uh, creating uh, a line of clothing for dogs. I am. D- yes. Do tell. I mean, what it's do you? It's called Garmut. Garmut. Get it? Like garment. 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 G a r m u t t. Very nice. Hey. All right. Um, so what do you what do you got? Yeah, no, I just you know I have a little pug and he's like my little child and uh, you know we started uh, me and a friend started just uh, working on some clothing design some it, it's really it's like mock up band shirts. Okay. It's like band mock shirts and we just like thought of, I was like thinking to myself man I wish I could get like a Metallica shirt for my dog and it's just I couldn't you know. Sure. And I'm like well. You know, I guess that's kind of illegal to just like make Metallica shirts. So we started making like mock-up shirts that were kind of like play on words. And so we have a shirt, uh, Metallica, um, Petallica, Petallica, very good, Master of Puppies, Master of Puppies. You know, and there's going to be a whole line of of just, you know, you want your dog to be rocking that cool band shirt. Hell yeah! We're going to be the we're going to be the the source for that. What what else you got? I don't want to give all my ideas away. Uh, come on. What do you have for Dillinger? Do you have like the Dalmatian escape plan or I'm the, working on the it. Weimaraner I'll, escape plan? <laughs> Whatever you want. 
You tell me. I'm, I thought I'm gonna make a Dillinger one, but I don't know. This probably won't sell very well. But uh, <laughs> so we kind of yeah, because m- most of the Dillinger fans you know, are cat lovers. Yeah, you know, I mean, of... we got a Lincoln Bark. You know, we got a we got a Black Shag. <laughs> black Shag. You know, we got a. I got a lot. I got some under my. I sleep. got. I got. A sh- I got two Shetland Sheepdogs. I'm gonna hook you up. What? This is Shell Tea. No, this is oh. no. I don't know. I'm trying to Let's work up something we'll for my shelties. Okay, we're gonna do that. Ben, thanks for stopping by. No problem. Thanks for I appreciate me. appreciate you hanging out. And, Good to um, see you, man. And we did this with kind of like a modicum of not really talking shit. How did that happen? I don't know. I I, I blame it. I blame it on on my emo earnestness and your tiredness. Yeah. You've been it's probably spe- better. <laughs> You've been listening to me, Jason Pettigrew, editor-in-chief of Alternative Press Magazine, chatting with Ben Weinman. The king amongst kings in this place we call Alternative Press. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. You The check's in the mail. Ben Weinman, <laughs> the man, the fulcrum of the Dillinger Escape Plan. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 